Queeros, Cameron here. I have missed you so much. I want to thank you for your patience. We had a very unusual situation happen where um, our network went through some stuff and, and we were trying to figure out what to do with the show. And we are so glad to be back here on Earwolf, which is a network that I've been a guest on for years on shows like Comedy Bang Bang. Um, but it's so wonderful to actually be a part of the Earwolf family. Earwolf also has a couple other really great queer shows. So they have a great show called Throwing Shade, uh, which is hosted by some two pals of mine. Um, they have another great show called Homophilia. So what I really love about Query coming to Earwolf is that there's kind of a whole section of shows that don't cover the same topics and are dissimilar, but this, but you might want to listen to. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I'm also really excited about this episode of Query. I had a chance to talk to Lena Waithe, who uh, recently won an Emmy for writing um, on the show Master of None. Lena was the first black woman to ever win a writing Emmy for comedy, I think. I can't remember if it's across the board or if it's just for comedy. Um, but either way, a huge and, and momentous change for Hollywood. Since then, Lena has also debuted um, her own show on Showtime called The Shy, which is about Chicago, and has a bunch of other stuff in the works. This is somebody who's hyper-motivated, been in L.A. for a long time, um, really involved with a lot of projects, and is like uh, on the masculine side of presenting woman of color um, who's openly queer. So this is very exciting for our entire community, just that Lena exists. And I was pleased as hell that she was willing to come to my house and sit down and talk to me about her life. So please uh, enjoy this episode with Lena Waithe and welcome back, Queeros. Welcome back. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Hey, you're at my house. Yes, I am. Yeah. It's a beautiful house. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, with awesome ice cubes. Yeah, we've got like uh-huh. primo ice cubes because uh, you invest steel. in the small things that make you feel like a fancy person. Yo, man, it's priceless. <laughs> like you can't put a price tag on things that make you feel good. That's right. That's totally right. On, on the show, I always have guests introduce themselves. Okay. So would you introduce yourself? Um, my name is Lena Waith. Um... And uh, yeah, I'm on a TV show. I wrote a TV show. The TV show I'm on is called Master of None. The show I created is called The Shy, which will be on Showtime January 7th. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, yeah, I'm just a black gay girl out in the world. And I feel like I just know this about you because I'm like good at being a queer person. Mm-hmm. But it feels like you've had a huge couple of years. Mm-hmm. But I also know that you have been working in this industry for a really long time. Yeah. Because those two things that you've mentioned, Master of None and The Shy, Mm -hmm. like that all feels like it's like, oh, this person has been working for three years in the industry. It's crazy. (laughs) But can you talk to me about like how you or when you started? Well, yeah. Well, I went to school for this. I went to Columbia College in Chicago. uh, I know Columbia. Yeah, it's great. And I went there all four years, studied writing, producing, and television. Um, And I did this thing called Semester in LA that they offer where you can come out to Los Angeles and like go to a class on a lot and like write spec scripts and do all these things and do all these exercises. And so I was a part of that. I did the Semester in LA and it's literally like, like, it's like six to 12 weeks or something like that. I can't remember. But you're just out here doing your thing. And so that was really my foundation of being in Los Angeles. Angeles and I went back and got my diploma and then came right back out here and just started PAing and turning and that was that was back in 2006 when I graduated. How, so I've been out here ever since. How did you know? So I'm from Chicago also mm-hmm. cool. and um like I have no idea how the fuck you would know that t- television exists even as an industry because like right. the way I experienced it as a kid I love TV mm-hmm. but Me it was too. very much like made by people I had no connection to. Like, right. I didn't even think it was made by people. I'm right. just like, no, this yeah. arrives on your screen. I think I think I didn't know that either for those first few years. And then 
I kind of realized that I was like obsessed with it and really wanted to learn how to do it. And that's when Columbia College sort of came up on my radar about a, a school that was in my own backyard that really was about media and art. And, uh, you know, you could major in poetry there. And I was like, oh, well, I'm, that's more my lane. Like, because I got into DePaul as well. And, and I got into college. So it was like either I can go the straight and narrow route or I can kind of go the road less traveled. And so I went with the latter. And, and it was just great. I was around a lot of these artists and really cool professors. But the big thing that the professor said, they were like, you have to move to either New York or Los Angeles. And if you want to like write television, I really want to write half hour multicam stuff, which is obviously very much Los Angeles. So they were like, you got to move out there if you really want to take it seriously. And I think I was resisting that a little bit. And then finally, I was like, all right, I'll do the semester in L.A. And that really changed my perspective because I had actually been out here and I could like see it and I could see the opportunities and so I just started hitting the ground running just a lot of crawling a lot of paying one's dues before I could like stand up and walk on my own two feet yeah I mean I hear that I also think yeah. I mean my experience coming from Chicago is that I just had no context for LA like I thought it was yeah, a, either. like I never like been here one giant convertible I don't yeah. know I just had, I don't know what I thought it was I, like yeah I, all the beach I, yeah I I had no nothing to you know reference I had no family out here I mean it was and I definitely do not come from a showbiz family at all so it really was just sort of me out here swinging and that's why I think it is I feel such a sense of gratitude that I've been able to you know have the career that I've had and you know I'm continuing to build and have the friendships and relationships that I have because it's really all built off of like grit and just me hustling and me just being really dedicated to my craft I think that's the thing that you know, people, that's the first thing they kind of experience when they see me. They see me as a character. They they hear about a TV show I've written. And then, you know, they get to know me as a person. And if they like that, too, then that's sort of icing on the cake. But it's really just a matter of just pure hustle and grit. and uh, But really honing my craft. And I think that's the thing that people, I believe, really respect about me and my brand. And I want to continue to do that. I love that you are so positive also about like who you are and what you're doing. Cause I think, yeah. I think that's really important. It's I mean, important. You know, well, one visibility alone is, is super important. Yeah. Um, you know, being out, but I think t- particularly as a person of color, I'm aware of how even more significant it is for me to be as public as I am. Cause I've never thought I would be an actor. I'll be honest. Like that was not a part of my plan, but when it sort of came about organically and I was really pushing sort of the, the public side, I, I I realized how important my presence was in the culture because there are so many people like me that look like me that don't ever see themselves. And that's something that I, I guess I should have known because I'm a part of that community, but I didn't realize how much people were longing for it. And I never thought I would be a poster child for the sort of like queer woman brown community. Um, but, you know, look, I'm also very specific. I'm a soft stud slash masculine presenting black woman. So that's a whole group of, of, of women like that exists. I mean, I see them on Instagram. Like, a lot of them I don't know and I didn't kick it with a lot of them. I don't have a ton of like lesbian friends, but like I see them, but I've, I'm friendly with them now because they hit me on social media and they're like, oh, yo, you know, but I would have felt completely out. That's a weird thing for me because I never felt like I had a place in my community, my sort of gay community, because I wasn't super, super butch. I just wasn't. That's just like not my lane, but I wasn't definitely not femme. So I was somewhere in the middle and that kind of left me on the outs in a weird way. Um, and I sort of didn't know where to fit in. And my demo was like straight women and gay men because I act more like a gay man than I do, I guess, quote unquote, a lesbian. And um, and straight women are just sort of fascinated by me. So <laughs> that was sort of like my crew, which it which really does make up my crew. I'm friends with a lot of gay black men and a lot of like straight <laughs> black women and um but then funny enough when I my character was out there in the world and people kind of got to know me then a lot of these lesbians started popping up like oh you're dope or you represent for me whatever and I'm like oh okay cool dope so now we kind of like have like a lot of pen pals um from like on DM and Twitter and things like that which I really appreciate because I feel like that's my community um but it was definitely an interesting road because I'd be at clubs and I'm like I don't fit in here like I don't drink I don't have that many tattoos I was like I don't know where I stand um but we're also like a similar ish we're we're a similar age Um, and so like that also means that well for me anyway like when I was trying to figure out who I was and where Mm -hmm. I fit the internet wasn't yet it was like really just being built so there wasn't an opportunity to like find people that might be more in a gray area or like just anybody that you're you're like oh there's a whole different all you saw was what you you went out 
That's all you exactly. That's all the exposure and you get. Then yeah. also, especially coming from, I mean, like a city like Chicago, mm-hmm. um, I'm very curious as to what your experience, like where you even, where you were even going because Chicago is also such a racially yeah, yeah, segregated yeah, city. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we would go to Boys Town. But again, that's more for like the guys, obviously. I mean, hence the nickname. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think. There was, uh, and now I can't remember the names, but I did have like my first like gay friend, uh, Armand, a gay black boy. Uh, But like he would take me to certain places, but it just was never my jam. Mm -hmm. But even like now, like I I don't know if it's my, it's funny because when I came out here, I would do truck stop, which I don't even know if it's a thing anymore now. Uh, they made to have like I a ladies' night. Is. I don't know. Okay. It was a thing that used to. It was like right next door to the Abbey. Mm. Um, crap, and I don't know. It's maybe called something now. That's the weird thing too. It's like you know, WeHo. It's like they, the clubs' names are changing, and it's been so long since I've been down there. So who knows what's going on now? But um, but I just kind of felt like there were, they, and they do. They have these sort of nights, you know, and because there are there are different categories in within our community yes and and i kind of feel like in chicago you don't have as many options you have like you know it's like the guys eight five four or five four days of the week and then one night the girls but then i felt like the girls particularly out here too it would be like couples couples would come out and you would see the masculine chick with the feminine chick or you see two masculine chicks together or two lipstick chicks together it was very like those were the two categories and I was like I don't really know where I fit and um and even my own experience now in my relationship I'm with a woman who identify as straight before we were a couple you know and now I think she sort of doesn't like labels period because she's like I don't really know where I fit um so it's and she and I met out here you know organically you know in the workspace and we ended up having drinks and really falling in love fairly very quickly but that's the thing I never really kind of bought into okay here are the rules or here's how I'm supposed to date or here's who I should be going after but even like now like I don't like the club space is just not my thing because yeah because I'm an artist I think as well because I'm a person where if I'm out I want to talk to somebody about like what do you think of call me by your name like or you know have you read Ta-Nehisi Coates latest book like those are the, that's who I am as a person so I don't know if I'm having that conversation at a club you know with a drink in my hand I think part of what you're talking about is also been well so like for instance in Chicago you're you're right it's like so boys town like you and I could go there sure and but it's not we're, we're literally not in the name of the place no. and then no, also yeah. we would have really different experiences very true because yeah. of our skin color yeah, yeah, yeah and then like Andersonville is a place where like there are a ton of white people that have uh-huh. like maybe fucked up queer haircuts but Uh there aren't a ton of brown people or black people and then like i i think that some of this there's a younger generation than us Uh that is like having a very different experience absolutely it's a little more mixed up now a little more mixed up a little less like alcohol centered like i'm seeing events that maybe would speak more to the like oh this is like a conversation or like an art show or like Mm just like some gender fuckage coffee shop night. And that is cool because I really didn't feel like I had that either. I mean, I guess like maybe I went to dance a couple times in my youth, but I really feel like, because I'm a stand-up comic, Mm -hmm. part of like what I was doing Mm -hmm. in stand-up was like, (laughs) like creating a show that I could go to. Like Mm -hmm. literally, but unfortunately then you hit a point where you're like, oh, I actually am performing at this show. Right. Which is what you're talking about, also like taking on this mantle. So it's like, now you have this importance in the community, which is cool, but it also doesn't, you're not like mingling in the community because now you're like this like figurehead person. Well, 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 yeah. And it's interesting because I still, and this is a thing that I don't know, I could be not accurate. This may not be right, but I do feel like there is a real community on social media of like black, lesbian girls who dress like me is there there's like sort of a soft sort of like masculine presenting masculine presenting as i like to say group of women and the thing is like a lot of them it's just very funny like i didn't see them post about the thanksgiving episode like i didn't see them be like 
oh, Lena's our part. You know what I mean? There's an interesting thing where for like, I think the white community or just like other black queer people, like gay, you know, um, black men. Talk to, it's like, I rarely, you know, see a lot of that community saying like, oh yeah, we see her or we know her. That's our leader. I think because a lot of them are very much like, you know, well, we are our own community because a lot of them have like fan bases. Some of them like, you know, have like, the, it's sort of like these sort of, um, they're like, a, they are like sort of a sub group. And I see them. I follow a lot of them on, on social media, but, and I'm not asking them to make me that person, but it's interesting because I don't think that they sort of needed someone like me because they sort of exist themselves in their own communities in a, in a, in a weird way. We're like, not in a weird way, but I mean like in a way that is, is, is not needing Hollywood to validate. Dude, that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's interesting because like they they like they're, I see they like they have like web series that they're a part of. They do like shoot like there's like this show called The Les Factor. There's um you know this this rapper Temper. There's this person like Carter the Body. She's like a um she's an exotic dancer. Like I know who that person. Yeah, is. yeah. It's like they but it's like they you won't see them posting about me now mind you some of them like I, we follow each other Saya who's also um, queer uh, rapper super dope um, I got to meet Young and May but it's like they kind of but Young and May is sort of I think a little different but they really do have their own thing like you know and I just try to be supportive like some of them like there's a group called, have a clothing line called Stuzo Clothing that like I just rocked for you know really dope clothes I always try to support queer brown people who have any kind of business like I always try to support it Sheila Rashid who does clothes as well um, so it's like I just try to support the community as much as possible and rep uh, for them as much as I can um, because you know I feel like we are a unique little family you know we are we have like things in common but but it's true like I don't know if they're always like oh yeah Lena's the, our, our poster because they're their own poster children mm. in their community so, like does it feel weird then to have uh, people that so the people that did lose their mind about the Thanksgiving episode mm-hmm. like I mean I loved it thank you and I post about it for like similar reasons of wanting to like connect with the community mm-hmm. but obviously like we're not exactly the same person mm-hmm. um, like what does it, how does that feel it feels it feels amazing like to people that come up to me you know a lot of straight white guys come up and say I love that episode you know, uh, which I think is very interesting. And I think that's when art is sort of doing his job because I couldn't be more different from that person, but they're seeing some of themselves in me or in that experience, which is not their experience, but the whole mission is to be as specific as I possibly can, which I really was. I was very vulnerable and like kept it all the way 100, but what my experience was. So that way, even though I was really specific, it, it sort of created this sort of universal thing about everyone's almost feels like it feels like an outsider in their family when they go home for Thanksgiving, whether you're gay, whether you're different, whether whatever it is. And um, and that was really interesting. But what meant the most was when queer people, particularly queer people of color, came up and were like, yo, you finally told like a story that like I can relate to or that's what happened to me. And I mean, like Asian people, Latina people, um, you know, Indian people, like, I mean, it ran the gamut. And they were like, even though your story was about being black, they're like, that was my thing. You know, I'm Latina or I'm Asian American or, or things like that. And that really meant a lot because I feel like we don't often get our stories told, um, even in the, in the gay experience. I mean... There's no shade to these shows, but like Queer as Folk, Looking, The L Word, those are still shows that are very much about here's the gay experience from a white perspective, you know. Um, and I think, look, it's no shade to them. Like they doing what they're doing. They writing what they know. But it's still it's already you're already a part of a sub community. And now you're being left out of a show that, you know, and somebody could point to, oh, there's that light skinned black dude on Looking or what about Tasha in the final season of The L Word? <laughs> It's like, yeah, they throw us a bone here and there, but it's like, I'm still fighting to get a show on the air that has a queer person of color as the fucking protagonist. That is still something we don't have, and I, male or female. And I think for all the love that we've gotten on Thanksgiving or all the progress that has been made, where's that at? You know, still, I asked my last night about The Bachelor. When are we going to have a gay bachelor on ABC, male or female? When are we going to have a person of color bachelor? And I don't even watch The Bachelor like that. But I know how important it is to the culture. And for us to be left out of it. And yeah, we had a black bachelorette. Great. But to me, like, that ain't nothing. Like, a, a, to me, show me a black male choosing between women. But then it's always like, what kind of connotation would that have? Would people be offended? Would they be pissed? You know, because how many, how many white women would be, would be lined up asking for a rose from a brother? 
So it's like, yeah, we've made some progress, but I, I think about little things like that where I'm like, we still got a long way to go. And even um, I was at dinner with friends last night and I mentioned it and my friend was like, that's never going to happen. He's like, you're never going to have like a black guy, a bachelor. And I go, but just listen to what you said. We can have a black president, but we can't have a black bachelor. Because again, yeah. think about it. It's like, it's think about how that's real. People don't think about that. We, even the fact that we don't have a show of all the TV, all the, the, the different ways in which one's going to have, it's like a million channels, streaming services. There's no show with a gay male or female person of color or any of those things in the lead role. Yes, that is huge. That's crazy. So I'm fighting to get it done, you know, on my end. I'm trying to get 20s made, you know, and that's been a journey. You know, I'm, I'm feeling good and hopeful that we can get it get it up. Um, but I want that to be the first of many. I'm not trying to be, you know, I don't, I don't need to be, I don't want to be that revolutionary. But if I get that show made, it'll be the first of its fucking kind. So it's like, but it's always this weird thing of like, oh, well, look at Lena, like pushing their needle forward. But I'm not even trying, I'm just trying to, t- if I'm writing the pilot about, you know, like my life, that's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to look like. Yes. I, yes. You know what is so wild is I had a, I had a conversation with like a, because also what you're saying is so normal. Mm-hmm. And I had a conversation with an executive like whatever, right? Like we're like a meeting was going like sort of, and I don't mean to like, I'm sorry to the people that are listening to this podcast. It's going to sound very, but like, I thought the meeting was going very well. Mm -hmm. And then this person said um, to me, so are you interested in your work always being political? Mm. And literally what I was talking about was writing from my perspective Mm -hmm. as a queer person. Right. So, I mean, number one, I'm totally comfortable being political. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm, yeah. a, you know, I'm a stand-up comic. It turns right. out, like, if you're a straight white dude and you're a political stand-up comic, you're just called a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't talking, I was literally just talking about my own life. Right, right. And um, so what you're talking about, the, like, how normal it is to want to write a story about your own life. I mean, I think sometimes be- for anybody that maybe doesn't have a close connection to the entertainment industry, that's literally what everybody is doing. Mm-hmm. Every person is, even like something that seems really fantastical mm-hmm. is coming from like a nugget of an idea that the creator of that show or that the writer of that script had based on something that happened in their life. Absolutely. Or sort of a thinly veiled version of their experiences. Yes. Like you look at Insecure. Like that's a version of Easter Ray's experiences. You look at uh, Atlanta. That's Donald Glover. That's where him and his brother are from. That's their city. That's where they, you know, that's what they know. And they know the people of that city in a real way. And so that's where, and that's where that sort of nugget was born out of. Look at Master of None. That's a lot of Aziz's stuff, you know, with the being, you know, first generation and like, you know, trying to be an actor and, and being, you know, um, be having a diverse group of friends, all that stuff is his life. If you ask me to write a half hour about my life, the lead girl is going to be queer. She's going to have two straight female friends who are actresses and all these different things. And she's going to be chasing after straight girls and all these, and all those things that like one does in their twenties living in Los Angeles. Like, so that's why I'm just still trying to get the opportunity to have to have my own thing, my own show. And it's like, and, and why is my life experience any less valid than the people I just named? There's only one difference between us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to like both want to, I mean, I, I can tell just even in this conversation that you're like comfortable with the eye of moving the needle, as you said, like mm-hmm. you're, you're not with the idea of that. You're not like upset about that, but no. also the the idea that, like you would have to inherently do that. There's no yeah. way where you make that show and it gets to not be political. And and that's also great and fine, but like... But, but I do think there's an element of, for me, normalizing it. Because yeah. in my life, you know, I'm not walking around like, oh, like I'm a gay black girl. Hi, guys. You know, sort <laughs> of, of like I'm just living my life and doing my thing. And, and um, I do think it looks a little unique or foreign from the outside because they're like, oh, that's not my experience. But it's because it's mine, it's, it's very normal. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like there's nothing odd or, or revolutionary about it. Uh, but I'm aware because there aren't a ton of people like me in the culture, uh, then it becomes revolutionary. And yeah. and that's the thing that you kind of have to embrace and not be annoyed by because it is what it is. You know, your first is a first. And so, but my mission is, I think with, with, once you have one, then others, I think, will sort of follow suit and feel more comfortable to be themselves and to, to be out because there's still a lot of closeted black folks in the industry. Well, another thing that, 
like you're just doing by being on screen, something mm-hmm. like that. So like the clothes that you wear in the Thanksgiving episode, mm-hmm. or like if you're on a red carpet, are just like, mm-hmm. cl- I you know, again, I can tell just looking at you today or like mm-hmm. on screen, it's like you seem totally comfortable in those clothes. You're, right. you're not like um, introducing the idea that there could be like a queer female character that like has braids and wears a hat. Right. Like, like it's actually just like what is going on for you. Yeah. And I think that's also something that I'm excited to, to hopefully see change, like as different creators get like, not just behind the camera, but also in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. like just seeing different types of people. It looks, it just looks different. If I'm wearing like a, like I wear, I wear like men's button down shirts. I don't wear women's button down shirts. Like that's just what feels good to me. So if I'm on TV, I'm wearing menswear. Yeah. And like, that's because that feels totally right on my body. Yeah. But like it still is just casually changing the norm yeah. in terms of what people are used to seeing. Yeah. And I think for a long time, I think still there's some women who are queer who try to dress more f- feminine when they go to fancy events. And I think a big thing for me is like, no, nah, like, I mean, look at Jaden Smith when he pops up to stuff. Like, he is as comfortable as can be. And so I, he's sort of a bit of a style icon for me where I go like, you know what? I'm going to be on my Jaden Smith. Like, I'm going to wear some, like, loud pants, like a, a concert tee, you know, a jean jacket, you know, whatever. And so it's like because, you know, what? That's comfortable. And I think we have to redefine what it means, you know, with these events. It's like of what one is supposed to wear. And so, but again, it's like I'm, again, realizing now for the first time, you know, that I'm, you know, a rarity. I'm not like everyone else. and But I do think um, like Katie Lang was definitely really big about, you know, that kind of stuff back in the day. You know, um, Wanda Sykes, you know, I don't really see her wearing dresses. She definitely sort of, but, she, but she's not as masculine presenting, I think, as some. But, um, you know, I love that RuPaul sort of switches it up. He'll, he'll be in a suit. Maybe he'll be in drag, depending on his mood uh, or, or the event. But I kind of really feel like we have to just sort of be you know, ourselves and be comfortable at, at, at these events or whatever it, whatever it is. It's, it really makes me excited because what you're talking about with, with Jaden, I think is a really good connection and like, not that there are two sexes or genders, obviously it's like this huge spectrum, yeah, yeah. but I do think that like <clears throat> for, um, for like women, the even the clothes that have been on the more like masculine side mm-hmm. have been it's like a it's like a women's tuxedo right you know which is like cut differently and emphasizes right. the waist and emphasizes right. the bust right right versus like what i see you wearing mm-hmm. um yeah which is just a really different thing yeah and it's it's a, it's actually really exciting to me to mm-hmm. and you're right like it's not you know, absolutely. Katie, we could find a zillion, you know, not mm-hmm. a zillion. We could find like five yeah, other some, examples, yeah. but it's still fucking cool no, it's to be getting to this place where you're just like wearing a tux. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to continue to wear them. I'm wearing one to the Globes. Hey, thanks. I yeah. feel stoked <laughs> about <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, also, what else would you wear? Right. You're going to look fancy. You're going to wear a tux. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, but I just, got, I just realized like I just got to be myself like unapologetically like all the time as a way one because that's just comfortable and makes sense for me but also it's about showing others who you know might be more tempted to wear something a little bit more feminine because they're like yeah i'm a queer but i want to it's like no nah, man wear what makes you feel comfortable wear what wear what makes you you because i see it i see it out there sometimes i'm going like you don't want to be in that dress you don't want to be wearing that makeup but it's like okay that's what you feel like you got to do did you have to like work up to that no i mean i genuinely have always worn like you know, I when I go to Zara or whatever, when my friend, even when my friend was styling me, Tiffany, my I, my stylist name is Tiffany, and I have another friend of mine, Tiffany Johnson, who styled me because she's just very stylish. But yeah, we go to Zara men's department and we like figure it out and um and and make it work. And uh, yeah, that's just sort of always what I've done. Like since you were a kid, even. Well, yeah, I was always a tomboy, but when I had to dress up as a kid, my mom was putting a dress on me. But like, but as an adult, like, oh man, it's always like you know a pantsuit and all that kind of stuff. Like, do you remember when you made that? Like, when the moment is that you had to make that choice for yourself? Um, I think living in Los Angeles, you know, going to events or, or certain things. Like, I was always like, okay, let's uh, let's figure this out. Let's 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 wear what is cool and fly, but I'm also comfortable in. Um, and also too, and then sometimes a big thing for me when I do photo shoots, uh, we always get the opportunity like, do you, like, do you want glam? Do you not? A lot of times I try not to do glam. I try to say like, well, no, we can just like have my face like naked and like 
as I would be, depending on what it is. Maybe we'll do some makeup, not too crazy. But again, that's the thing as well, sort of like defining what, you know, a woman is supposed to look like or, you know, in a photo shoot and things like that. It's like, I don't always have to be like made up, you know, it's like, I'll just have my plain face, you know, in, in my masculine clothes and, and just be there in a magazine for someone to see. And then again, like the makeup decision, is that something that you had to be comfortable with? I mean, no, it's more just about, like a thing that you feel more fine about for with? me. Like I don't walk around the world with makeup. So if I'm doing a photo shoot that I feel like it's a certain publication that, you know, is not like Vogue or, you know, uh, something super fancy like like New York Magazine I just did it yesterday and like I didn't have any makeup well I had like a little a light light makeup you know what I'm saying so it's like so that you look like, like a human that is alive, alive right. <laughs> you have to wear the level of alive but makeup that's yeah. it that's <laughs> it man like my lovely makeup artist Rebecca like <laughs> she's like you know she is always short and sweet you know what I mean yeah I I, I think it's I mean it's funny because some of this stuff I like figured out right prior to moving here. I've only been mm. here for five years. Okay. And um like just even just trying to figure out like that's actually that's my wedding photo right there. Oh no, beautiful. Oh thank you so much. Yeah. And like of course I'm wearing a jacket. Sure. Like yeah. it makes perfect sense for me. Uh-huh. But for some reason you want a right prior well yeah, I mean I, I feel comfy in makeup. Cool. It actually feels okay to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like a it makes me feel like David Bowie. I can't I explain it. why it doesn't feel feminine to me. No, like, yeah. When I wear makeup, I don't feel it doesn't feel feminine. It just feels like oh, like like a like a like artistic. A, yeah, like a draggy yeah. art. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm. It feels cool to me. No, I love um, it. but also like right prior to that, I like panicked at the last minute. Oh wow! And was like, do I need to be wearing a dress? I have no idea. Wow. Where this came from? Like some you know, conversation that I had had with myself when I was like two and a half years old or whatever. Oh. It's sneak. It can, in my, for me, I mm-hmm. find that sometimes like, uh, what's been put on us, what's been put on mm-hmm. me will, will pop up Yeah, at like when I least expect it. That's interesting. That's really brave. Yeah. To, to admit that. Cause it's like, that's the thing. It's about about gender and and and, and social norms. You know, uh, sort of always grappling with it and wondering. For me, because I think I am so masculine, presenting like a dress is not even cross. Like I don't own any like you know. I don't own any dresses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, even, I know. I was like going like, should I wear a dress? And then I was literally like, where would where do you get a dress? Like, right. <laughs> like I, it's like I don't. Even it's not own like this was some plan that feminine clothes <laughs> would have like, made sense. It's so interesting. Um, yeah. That's, it's, 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 but it, those are days you do wonder, like, well, what should one wear? Like, what should I be in? Or what is the, what, what do I think I should be wearing? It's or, like, like, the shame that is just, like, that could be removed from just being yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the idea that we could just feel this way and not have it be, like, a challenging thing that pops up for you yeah exactly but it's you know it's I I think for me I I don't know I guess I'm just so like removed from it but I'm just myself and I'm glad I can live in a kind of space like like Los Angeles and like the the industry that I'm in which is very you know it is pretty welcoming I think to the queer community um just because there's so many of us (laughs) a part of the industry um but yeah I I just never feel like oh I need to conform or if I'm ever in a position or feel that way I immediately will pipe up yeah that's rad Mm -hmm. it's important it's important to like to to voice because I think um even with within my publicist and my team are really great but I always make it super clear although but that's the thing too I don't even have to make it clear anymore because I feel like if I'm going to do a photo shoot these folks know who Mm -hmm. I am or how I present so I I don't, but I don't find myself fighting saying, hey, no dresses or no this or whatever. Um, you know, I don't have to do that, mm-hmm. which is great. I'm, that happy is to, great. I'm happy to live in a time where I don't. I'm, just I'm still like, trying to work on photographers telling me to smile. It's like, that's the thing. I feel like that's a new weird thing I've picked up where I'm like, I don't think no, anyone should tell a woman to smile, even for a picture. Yeah. So. Also like. 
guys yeah. don't have to do that. I, I think it's a, it's a weird. I don't think people really pick up on it. Mm-hmm. But that might be a new thing. I might tell my publicist to tell the people like no, saying like don't no do. tell she, me. She feels like a, to smile. She will mm-hmm. not like. It's a weird. Still a weird thing about women with photo shoots. Like they'll say, "Hey, can you, can I get a smile?" Yeah, and then it's going to go along with a piece that's about like your strength. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, she's it's like I, so strong I and mean, like in control of herself and then just like a it, big smile. And it might be nitpicky, but I just kind of feel like a smile is something you do by choice. I don't think it's nitpicky. Yeah. I think that probably every reaction that someone would have to somebody taking their picture. asking them to do something right. for a picture oh, yeah. is probably like Okay. Probably fair. You know? Yeah, I mean you yeah. can still do it, but if you're having a reaction to it, it's probably like from a place of like honesty, because yeah. it's kind of an invasive I mean it can be fun, but it also is totally weird. To yeah, try so, to present yourself. And you also wonder if it's a weird request to tell the photographer, like, "Don't tell her to smile." I don't know. That that's a weird email exchange. But, but can I ask if, because like sometimes something I find myself doing sometimes is managing like, like giving a shit about being difficult is also something women only have to that's worry true. about. Like that's just true. saying like. <laughs> like people ask me to smile because I'm a woman. If I asked them to not ask me that, is that too difficult? And I think that because I'm a woman, like yeah. how many layers can we possibly go down? Up, but think about all the pictures of like, you know, famous men. You see, yeah. they don't, they don't smile. Well, that's what I'm saying. Cause it's like, cause they're doing like a strength they're thing doing, and yeah. we don't necessarily associate strength with like smiling. That's just like in our culture. You're not yeah. like mug. You're not like mugging if you're trying to, seem cool or yeah I'm not gonna be a tweet I may tweet that out today don't ask me to smile yeah I think it's gonna go well yeah I think that's I think that's gonna I think you're gonna have a uh, no who knows we'll see how it's received we'll see I want, if I do it I wanna hear about the shy yeah man the shy the shy is uh available right now to watch on Showtime anytime uh for a limited time only uh people have been tweeting about it which is really exciting but yeah man it's about being black and human on the south side of Chicago and I keep it at that because I think anything else would be trite, you know, to explain like, you know, the different storylines or whatever. But it really is about humanizing black people in Chicago, particularly the South Side, because that's where I'm from. But uh, but that's what I felt like was needed. I want to just tell very simple yet complex stories about life. You know, it's it's not about the system. It's not about the cops. It's about the people that make up the community. And when people tune in, that's, that's what they'll get. They'll get real life stories. Um, not real, like not, they're not always based on real things, but, you know, based on some of the stories that I'm aware of, that I know, that I'm familiar with. Um, it's not autobiographical. That's sort of a, been miswritten uh, or misquoted or whatever. But, um, but it's really just about the people. And, uh, and that's what I wanted to, Tell, tell a story about not make us look perfect but not make us look like you know monsters but we're yeah. like we're somewhere in the middle I mean I feel like for people that aren't from Chicago I would love to hear mm-hmm. like a little bit about well I mean I guess I'll talk about what I know growing up as a mm-hmm. white person in Chicago mm-hmm. is that like I had very little awareness as a kid mm-hmm. of what was going on in the south side right. like I, I mean when I say what was going on I mean like literally anything about like who might live there, mm-hmm. what jobs might be like, what like, like, like what the streets were. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just mean, I know all the streets on the North side of Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, and like I could Edison, name so, them yeah. now, you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like Chicago's, I mean, it's the third is the third biggest city in the country, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize. Right. That, like, cause it's in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience being on the coast is sometimes people don't realize how many people live there and also yeah. that it is one of the most segregated cities in the country. Very segregated. Yeah. So like you grew up, I grew up in an all black neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, I grew up only seeing black people. <laughs> so uh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred yeah. I mean, I only, I went to university of Chicago very briefly Okay. Uh, for a graduate degree that I did not complete. Yeah, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I used to ride my bike from the North side to the South side, Oh wow. Okay. which was like, one of my first experiences. And then I also used to do shows when I lived in Chicago and was doing stand-up in Bronzeville, Mm -hmm. which was also one of my first times, like, regularly going to the South Side. Mm -hmm. So, like, you grew up, no white people around. Yeah, yeah. Your experience of Chicago is really underrepresented. Right. Like, I don't even think we think about Chicago as, like, again, when I I moved to Boston for college, people would, I remember one of the first people that I met, I was like, oh, I'm from Chicago. They were like, 
so that's like cows and farms and stuff. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, no, it's like. That's so interesting. Yeah, there are different pockets. You know, it's it's interesting because it's a city, but it's made up of different neighborhoods. That's what it's a series of neighborhoods, really. Um, so and that's where what I grew up from? in. Well, the, technically, I, it's interesting because Chance and I are from a similar area. I never knew the name of it, but he it's called Chatham, and I think that's sort of I think the area what's technically what it's called. But grew up on 79th Street off the Dan Ryan. Um, for people that know Chicago, will kind of get that. Um, then also spent time in Evanston, and then now my mother lives near the Loop downtown, which mm-hmm. is where I lived for a little while too. Um, so I kind of did a little bit of a, a tour. So as I got older, I got to experience other sides of it. But as a kid, like. I was on this one block and um, and yeah, I grew up in the same house that my mother grew up in and um, the kids I played with were the children of you know the kids that she grew up, my mother grew up with. So it was very much this like real familial type of community that I also think people don't see about Chicago is that there are communities there that people take care of each other, people look out for each other. Um, there's a real there's a real sense of community there that I think pe- that is sort of lost in translation when people hear about stories or, or or news or statistics and things like that coming out of the city. So I think that was something I really wanted to infuse and to show that we're all connected, um, and uh, particularly Black folks in the city. Like we just there's a knowing that we all have no matter what part. I mean, some people say, oh yeah, I'm from West Side, I'm South Side, whatever. You have that slight slight difference, but we all we, there's a common thread amongst all of us. Yeah, I love that that specificity of the multiple generations. Cause I think that's true for a lot of different communities mm-hmm. because it is so geographically isolated. Like there isn't yeah. another, and that's on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there isn't, but they're also like, there isn't like another big city you would move to. It's like Chicago's like the final stop yeah. versus like, if you grew up on the East coast, everything's, there are big cities, a drivable distance from mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true for Chicago. So like my family is, a multiple generation Chicago family too, gotcha. where like my grandparents grew up in Little Italy mm. on Taylor Street, and like gotcha. have that whole thing going on. Well, so, we were part of the Great Migration because my grandmother is from Arkansas. Mm. She obviously left the South to, to go to Chicago for a better life and all that kind of stuff. So she uh, married my grandfather. They moved to Chicago, and we've sort of stayed put ever since. <laughs> and your mom lives near the Loop now. Yeah, she yeah she while she's still there. My, a lot of my family's still in Chicago. Um, I obviously I moved out here, but you know, they all, they sort of just stay put, which is, that's the thing about Chicago. I think it is such a great city and it's such a great place to, to live that you don't, I mean, obviously it took me a while to, to leave. It really is like a, it's like a final stop. Yeah, man. It really feels that way. I had a hard time leaving myself because, I, yeah. and then also there's like this idea, I think, cause it, it's a city that also kind of like loves itself. And so mm-hmm. people oh, be like, yeah. you do not need to leave here. No. Like I'm amazed that you got the information from Columbia that you should leave here. That's, that's great that yeah, they give you that information. I have never heard that from like another place, organization or person in Chicago. Just the professors. Everybody is mad that you're leaving. Just the professors. They were like, you got some talent, go. And Chance is not helping us out either. Well, Chance lives there now. <laughs> I know. I know, but I, yeah, we'll see if he'll, you know, well, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's rad what he's, I just mean this one particular issue of like being like, oh, I'm doing it all from Chicago. And I'm like, he is, dude, man. this is what everybody. <laughs> I was, I, I went and kicked it with him uh, when I was there uh, last week. And uh, I went to the studio. He played some music for us. Uh, myself and Common went down. It was very Chicago. Jeremiah was there as well. Cause obviously Jeremiah had a chance to work on this, this uh, Christmas album. Uh, but it was just like, it's, it, it I love it. I love, mm-hmm. I love that. And, it, because again, he does music, so you can do that from anywhere. You can do that from anywhere. And so for me, it was like they kind of kicked me out. They're like, "No, you got to go." But it was happy. I was happy to make a show about the city, which was kind of nice. Because then I got, I feel, still feel connected to it. But you again, guys that, shot it there. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, and absolutely. I'm very excited to yeah. watch it. You shot it there. How long were you in the city to work on it? Oh man, about three months. About that must have felt cool as hell. Well, That's the fucking was, dream. Tough thing was, I always had to go back and forth because our writers' room was up at the same time. So for me, I was really adamant about being in the writers' room. Wow. Um, but I was, I would obviously go, you know, when I could to Chicago. Obviously, for the pilot, another episode I wrote, and then the finale. That sounds like a busy couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's rad though. To me, I feel like like coming here, getting the industry and mm-hmm. going back, that's Yeah. I'm really happy that you were able to do that. Yeah, no, it was, you know, I'm grateful to Showtime, everybody involved. They there was never any question about us filming it there. Mm-hmm. It was great. And I mean, yeah. I feel like it's now big enough 
that you, you I'm sure you probably use some local crew and stuff like that. Oh too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Local crew, local actors. Um, yeah, and they shoot a lot there now, so those folks they, know. There's a lot. Gonna, I know. Yeah. Ugh, rad. Mm-hmm. It's great. Dude, I'm I'm so proud of you that you've achieved <laughs> the ability to bring stuff back home. That's the goal, man. That's Isn't the it? Goal. It really is. Yeah. So what? So tell me what you want to do next. Um, the next thing I want to do is get twenties up. You know, um, on the air. So stay tuned. We're working toward it. We're feeling good. We're worth the network now. Um, but it's just that's my baby. I wrote that before I wrote the shy. Um, so these are two scripts that have been in my heart and my soul for a long time. So I'm happy that people are going to get to see the shy. They're getting to see the shy now, um, but they'll get to see that show next year. And my mission is to make sure they get to see Twenties as well, which is another part of me and part of my voice. Um, and uh, you know, uh, the the next big thing really is uh, Ready Player One, which comes out at the end of March. Uh, which is the new Steven Spielberg film, which I'm excited to be a part of. I can't say who I play in it. But I can say I'm in it, and I'm, I'm, it's, it was one of the like best experiences of my life working with Steven Spielberg and Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cook. I mean, it's a phenomenal cast, and it's like one of those like big crazy movies. So I'm excited to be a part of it. So I want to ask you like sort of how you're keeping it together right now, because I think that for anybody that's listening, um, I mean, from an outside perspective, it mm. seems like your career has gone into like a whole different zone in the mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that yeah. is true? <laughs> Where yeah. you're, you're, uh, you have a ton more eyeballs on you, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming is like a gift, but also has some stress and pressure attached to it. So like, what are you doing to keep yourself sane and, well, I think a big thing for me is here's it, and it's I always look at this Whitney Houston quote, which is a great one. She always says, "Somebody said her has fame changed you?" And she's like, "Fame doesn't change you. Uh, the pe- it changes the people around you." And I think that's really true. It's like I remain, I keep doing the same stuff. You know, I you know I make my lovely you know fiance a priority. I oh, I didn't realize. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Congrats. Thank you so much. We're excited. We're trying to catch up to you. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, I just make her a priority, you know, and I, and I try to stay in a space of constant state of gratitude and in a constant state of prayer. That's the thing. It's like, and also in a constant state of, you know, uh, humility. But and, even just um, being like so busy, like what oh, are yeah. you able to do to oh. like calm yourself down so you can even sleep at night? Um, I think a big thing is like watching it just sounds weird, but like watching TV shows that I like, watching movies, like that is, is that's the calm, but it's also a form of inspiration. Mm. Um, because the big thing is I try to make time where I don't have to do anything, although that's become a little bit more difficult. But my assistants, you know, Raquel, Kendra, really hold me down in terms of making sure they schedule time for friends as well. Like, you know, I'm not, I always tell my friends, I'm not, I'm not being Hollywood if I say, hey, I'm going to have them schedule a lunch or a dinner. It's because I treat that like with the same amount of importance as I do my career. It's like I got to make time to have dinner with friends or a lunch with a friend or, or catching up with someone that stuff I'd have them scheduled too, you know, because that is just as significant as a meeting or a table read. Yeah. I like putting the same weight on that. That's cool. Yeah. And then also having it almost go in the same category. So it doesn't feel like you could cancel on one thing, but not nah, another. I don't, that's, you know, that's I, smart. you know, it's, it's important, you know, for it to be on the calendar because you have to, you have to schedule those things or else you look up and go, oh, I haven't seen my friends in a year. So for me, it's, it's really important. Um, but yeah, man, I think a big thing is, just finding time for myself, uh, which is, it does become difficult. Cause, but, but I do think you have to sometimes do blackout days, which, which, which I've done this year, um, which kind of starts tomorrow. Uh, because if you don't, like people will go, okay, you want to do this photo shoot? When this, or this person asks you to do this thing, you'll kind of get caught up in it. And that's why even for me now, I'll I ask, I'm like, is this really important? Is it really significant? And I'll ask my, with my publicist or my agent, they'll have to explain to me, like, this is why we think it's important. This is why we think this thing is significant. Otherwise, I'm like, can we lift it off where I can have time to write or time just to like not do anything and like watch a movie? Because it's true. If I have a free moment to myself, I am. I'm like watching the screener or I'm like watching better things or something, you know, uh, because that calms me down, but it also makes me go, oh, okay, that's, that was really good. That was a good episode of a thing, or that was a really good movie. Or I like that the way they turn that phrase because I'm, I'm always a student as well. Even when I'm relaxing, I'm studying. Uh, I can't help that. Because if people ask me, like, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? I'm like, uh, go to the movies, <laughs> I know. watch TV. Because I love it so much. It's, um, you know, it's weird. It's almost like asking Michael Jordan, what are you doing your day off? Oh, I'll go play basketball. Because it's like, it's not a job. 
it's 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 a lifestyle. Yeah, of course. I've been, I've been enjoying going to see people play music lately because it's like it doesn't because if I go see I can't go see stand up stand up yeah it's the it's like I, the, I enjoy stand up it's like the I'm worst really punishment that you could ever do for a comic is be like yeah. go to watch a comedy show like the, that's terrible yeah but uh like adjacent something adjacent where I'm watching somebody do their art but I'm but it's not putting me in my head has been really that's helpful I, I love seeing live music too yeah um I am gonna ask so so fiance is that's really exciting yeah. Yeah, we haven't posted on social media yet. I will. I got to do it. I got to pick a picture and put it up. Um, but, I mean, we got engaged on Thanksgiving while we were in Tokyo. Um, it's crazy. And um, and it was beautiful. It was. She knew it was coming. She didn't know when. So I wasn't nervous about whether or not she was going to say yes or not. I was more nervous about her liking the ring, which she did, thankfully. Uh, but, yeah, it was a beautiful sort of ch- a beautiful chapter to walk into. Um, at the end of this year, especially because it's been a busy one and a monumental one. And for me, that's the greatest accomplishment is really getting engaged. And I know some people may go, yeah, but you did all these things. But she is my legacy. So I'm really, you know, just grateful to have her in my life. And and that's the thing that keeps me sort of like centered and grounded. Do you have any thoughts about what you were looking forward to about marriage? You know what? Um, more growth. You know, us continue to grow into each other, you know, and with each other um, and supporting the other uh, and just, you know, experiencing life as a real unit. We are a unit now, but being, you know, an official one, that's what I'm really looking forward to. And also continue to witness her life, you know, and her witnessing mine. That's what I really think marriage is. Uh, and um, And just continuing to show each other ourselves. And in a real way yeah. that makes us, you know, improve things about ourselves uh, and heal old wounds. You know, that's to me what a healthy relationship is. It's one that brings up old stuff so you can heal things that you didn't have a chance to in your childhood. Oh, my gosh. Do you want some thoughts from the other side? Sure. Everything Always. you said is dead on. I mean, I my so we're only we just celebrated our two year anniversary okay. last week cool. okay. of being married. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you're totally right. I mean, it's like so hard. It is so much harder than I thought yeah, it would be yeah. because of all the stuff that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like you, you are, it, to me, it did. I mean, some of this sounds like really traditional and, and like something that I was surprised by because mm-hmm. of how, you know, I didn't go into it thinking I was trying to set up a traditional marriage for yeah. myself, but I just feel like the operating as a unit. Mm-hmm trying to like really prioritize a whole other person's mm-hmm. full self mm-hmm, all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I felt like I was doing that when we were together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like at a different place. Yeah. And you have to speak up for, you know, what you need, you know, yep. we do, our partners do, and we have to really honor what they ask for. Which seems like like it seems like simple, it seems like the most simple sentence in the world. Please, this, it is no, this morning, such this morning. Alana was like, "Well, you we're taking a week off, right?" And I was like, "Well, I do have to write, and I and I, I agreed to do this thing with a friend." She was like, "No, you're, that's you reneging on what you said." And I was like, "Those are two things." She's like, "Nope, you got it." So I was like, "All right." So I was like, "The thing I said I was going to agree to on Friday, I'll take that off." And I was like, "I'll write before you wake up." So she's like, "Okay." So I was like, "You just got to do it." Yep. And I'm a person, like, I like to deal with it, like, in that moment. And so she was like, no, it's okay, whatever. And I was like, no, 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 let's deal with it. And she's like, well, you're going back on your word. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to do that. So we figured it out. And I think that's a big thing, too, was, like, the ego, you got to fucking get rid of it. Because the ego is the problem. Like, you know, you being like, well, no, I'm not wrong. And, you know, it's okay. But it's you have to say, okay, I was messed up. My bad. I'll fix that. Yeah. And I think there's this misconception that that means you're a pushover or like you're whipped or whatever it's like no sometimes you gotta own it as long as the other person's doing it too if you're the only person always saying oh my bad I'm <laughs> right. sorry then maybe you know but if you both can own up and go oh my bad I shouldn't have done that then just keep it pushing that's the hardest because everybody wants to have an excuse or a follow up or a but and it's just like no sometimes you're just wrong and say like, I'm gonna fix that and and you know don't do it again I mean it's that's exactly right I will say it's also like god it's hard to have somebody around to see you mess up mm-hmm. it's also really awesome like you're talking about witnessing somebody witnessing the 
the coolest thing about like finding a partner mm-hmm. is that there's gonna be somebody who's gonna see all the stuff, like all oh, the good yeah. stuff, which is, and they're gonna know how hard you work to get it. Right. It's not just that they're like there at the moment that it happens; they know the whole thing. So yeah. that's incredible. But then they also know like how you are fully the worst. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they know yeah. all of your stuff. Yeah, and um, it's big. It's really yeah. exciting. And I gotta hold you know somebody to hold you accountable. Yep. Which is really important. It is important. It's important, especially for for like you right now and you're yeah. in this moment. I'm yeah. really happy that you have somebody that is going to keep you in oh, that yeah. spot because I feel like... No, nah, she don't play. <laughs> That's At good. At all. And you know, for people who are, you know, are still looking for that relationship for that person, it's like, hold yourself accountable. You know, yep. to find somebody, you know, that will do it as well. Because that's the thing. It's like good you, friends. You can be can also do just that. as yeah, a village, chosen family, mm-hmm. family. Um, you know, because there is that thing of like I know what that was like when you're still trying to find that thing or that person. It's like me too. You got to be so centered in yourself, and then someone who is also centered in a way will come find you. Yeah. Oh well. Okay, that's beautiful, and we can even just that could be those could be the words. Yeah. So before I uh, let you head off into the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you would share a queero, which is like just somebody that, or it could be a place mm. or a piece of art that made you feel confident to be the strong person you are today. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout, and I've been talking about this movie a lot lately, um, but it's one that I hold d- near and dear. Uh, but it's the Paris is Burning, you know, that. Oh my God. That doc is like, you know, the Bible. You know, for half the stuff we say, half the things we do, it's a big part of like shape, shaping my personality. Um, the amount of strength and all the people that are in that doc, uh, you know, and a lot of people don't know this, but like a straight white woman, like is the documentary behind it. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's a very interesting thing of her really being a voyeur, but also being very respectful of the community and kind of saying, I'm going to capture this because it's important and it's beautiful and this is amazing. And it's a, it's obviously that happened before my time, but I'm happy that they kind of found their own language and created their own culture. And it's one that's really permeated through the decades and the years long after they've been gone. Cause you know, no shade to the Kardashian clan, but like, like 80% of their slang is like that. Now whether they know it or not. Oh yeah. Birthed by, you know, these queer Brown people in New York, you know, back in the day. And I hear sometimes like, straight black dudes say shade or they'll be like no shade or whatever and I, and I don't know I'm like this is so interesting that you don't even you're not aware that you're using slang from you know a, a phenomenal you know queen like from back in the day or you know, a drag queen or just like a gay black boy you know like they create they invented it they invented a culture and people use it like just every day and don't even realize it and for us it's a it's a it's a real sense of identity, you know, and helping to shape my identity and being really proud of who I am because of that documentary. And I can watch it any day of the week. It's so human. It's so beautiful. It's so honest. It's so raw. Uh, And it just paints a really beautiful picture of who we are um, and what we can be and how we create something out of nothing and and make it fabulous. And I mean, one of the most amazing parts about that that documentary is that like, like, I'm so glad that it exists because we can never say right. like that we just got here, that the community just got here or that like the yeah. community didn't used to include people of color yeah. or like that the community didn't used to rely on uh-huh. it's, you know, it's each other in itself. I just feel like, or like trans folks are new. Like uh-huh. I just, I feel like that, that movie maybe more than anything else is a, is a great thing to let you question like, who's been included mm-hmm. and who's been written about and who's been captured, um, f- whose stories have been captured for for the queer community in general. Yeah, and just for me to know their names, you know, which I always try to speak, you know, like, you know, R.P. Dorian, you know, Willie Ninja, uh, Venus Extravaganza, uh, you know, these, you know, Octavia, like they just were, you know, Pepe Beja. They're just heroes. They they really are. They they were revolutionaries. They were pioneers, and they didn't really get their due, you know. But they gave each other their due. They I don't know if the world did. Ninja Willie Ninja really kind of went out there and like made a name for himself. But I feel like 
every single person in that movie is a hero. And um, and I just try to, you know, they're always going to be legendary children. And I always try to remember them and speak their names because they really did create the blueprint. They really did. Lena, thank you so much for coming over here today. Thank you for to having me. To my house and taking time. Of course. You rule. I'm going to be in your corner supporting everything that you do. Ditto. Awesome. Ditto. Rad. everyone scott ackerman here uh are you a fan of the podcast you talking you two to me well i hope you are if you are make sure to check out adam scott and i have a new show are you talking rem re me that's right it's a brand new show with a brand new title join us as we discuss the music and impact of the band rem through an album-by-album analysis that sounds very nerdy but it's actually fun we break down everything and nothing about the band Listen to the limited series, Are You Talking R.E.M. Re-Me, Wednesdays on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Earwolf.com. This is good rock and roll. Uh, use it! This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.com.